0: Today I'll be preaching from the book of Obadiah and it is the shortest book in the Old Testament and um, so I'm going to give you a time sometime for those pages to uh, rustle here a little bit but Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah. All right and so I trust you'll find your place there. I don't have to tell you the chapter Because there's only one. So Obadiah chapter 1. And I'll be reading verses 1 to 21 of this short but very important book in the word of God. Obadiah verse number 1. The Bible says the vision of Obadiah. Thus said the Lord God concerning Edom. We have heard a rumor from the Lord And an ambassador is sent among the heathen. Arise ye, and let us rise up against her in battle. Behold, I have made thee small among the heathen, thou art greatly despised. The pride of thine heart hath deceived thee, thou that dwellest in the clefts of the rock, whose habitation is high, that set in his heart, who shall bring me down to the ground? Though thou exalt thyself as the eagle, and though thou set thy nest among the stars, Thence will I bring thee down, saith the Lord. If thieves came to thee, if robbers by night, how art thou cut off? Would they not have stolen till they had enough? If the grape gatherers came to thee, would they not leave some grapes? How are the things of Esau searched out? How are his hidden things sought up? All the men of the confederacy have brought thee even to the border. The men that were at peace with thee have deceived thee and prevailed against thee. They that eat thy bread have laid a wound under thee. There is none understanding in him. Shall I not in that day, saith the Lord, even destroy the wise men out of Edom, and understanding out of the Mount of Esau? And thy mighty men, O Teman, shall be dismayed to the end, that every one of the Mount of Esau may be cut off by slaughter. For by, for thy violence against thy brother Jacob, shame shall cover thee, and thou shalt cut off, be cut off forever." In the day that thou stoodest on the other side, in the day that the strangers carried away captive, his forces and foreigners entered into his gates and cast lots upon Jerusalem, even thou wast as one of them. But thou shouldest not have looked on the day of thy brother in the day that he became a stranger. Neither shouldest thou have rejoiced over the children of Judah in the day of their destruction. Neither shouldest thou have spoken proudly in the day of distress." Thou shouldest not have entered into the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Yea, thou shouldest not have looked on their affliction in the day of their calamity, nor have laid hands on their substance in the day of their calamity. Neither shouldest thou have stood in the crossway to cut off those of his that did escape. Neither shouldest thou have delivered up those of his that did remain in the day of distress. For the day of the Lord is near upon all the heathen, As thou hast done, it shall be done unto thee. Thy reward shall return upon thine own head. For as ye have drunk upon my holy mountain, so shall all the heathen drink continually. Yea, they shall drink, and they shall swallow down, and they shall be as though they had not been. But upon Mount Zion shall be deliverance. And there shall be holiness, and the house of Jacob shall possess their possessions. And the house of Jacob shall be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame. And the house of Esau for stubble, for they shall kindle in them and devour them. And there shall not be any remaining of the house of Esau, for the Lord hath spoken it. And they of the south shall possess the mount of Esau, and they of the plain, the Philistines. And they shall possess the fields of Ephraim, and the fields of Samaria and Benjamin shall possess Gilead. And the captivity of this host of the children of Israel shall possess that of the Canaanites, even unto Zarephath. And the captivity of Jerusalem is in Shep Herod shall possess the cities of the south. And Savior shall come upon Mount Zion to judge the mount of Esau. And the kingdom shall be the Lord. Let us pray. Father, we thank you so much for your precious word. We thank you for giving it to us to be our guide, our blueprint, a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Dear Lord, we recognize that without your direction, without your guidance, we would be lost. We would be wandering aimlessly. But because of your word, we can have direction in our lives to see your will accomplished. I pray that as your word goes forth today, that each and every heart will be receptive to what you have to say. We thank you once again for what you're doing in the lives of your people. Thank you for this time of year where we can focus on your birth and your coming for the purpose of giving your life so that we can have an abundant life. Thank you once again for your goodness. Take full control. Save some lost souls, so the heart of every believer. And we'll be careful to praise you and give you the glory, for you alone are worthy of it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you so much for standing. You may be seated. As I begin this morning, I'd like to read an excerpt from an article I came across on a website called snoops.com and uh, it is entitled uh, A Declaration of Independence and you'll get the gist as I read it here today. It says, and I begin, I quote, In 1989, a Philadelphia financial analyst bought an old painting, a depiction of a country scene for $4 at a flea market in Adamstown, Pennsylvania, mostly because he liked the frame. He liked it even more once he found that the painting housed a rare and valuable document. The buyer was investigating a tear in the canvas, and the frame fell apart in his hands when he attempted to detach it from the painting leading him to discover a folded document which appeared to be an old copy of the Declaration of Independence stored between the canvas and its wood backing. After a friend who collected Civil War memorabilia advised him to have it appraised, he learned that the document was in fact a rare original Dunlap broadside one of 500 official copies from the first printing of the Declaration of Independence in 1776. Only 23 similar copies were known to exist before this find, of which a mere two were privately owned. The rare document was offered for sale by Sotheby's, a multinational broker of fine art, jewelry, and collectibles on the 4th of June, 1991. And the lucky find fetched even more than had been anticipated. The 800,000 to 1.2 million estimate turned into $2.42 million by the sound of the gavel at an auction. This was a record for any printed Americana, said David Redden, the auctioneer, Who is a senior vice president at Sotheby's in Manhattan? It was far and away the highest price paid for historical Americana ever. And I end of quote. Imagine that a document that was valued at 2.42 million dollars was initially sold unknowingly for four dollars. Shed a tear. For the seller. You see, my friends, being unaware of the value of what we have can lead to terrible and devastating decisions and consequences with sore regret. Today I want to share the value of something that I believe that many people who possess it undervalue and devalue. This devaluing leads to countless bad decisions, leads to a loss of joy. It leads to an unfulfilling life when God himself intended for the opposite to be the case. Today, I am speaking of salvation. You see, my friends, because of salvation, which has provided, been provided to us, free of cost, even though it was not cheap, because of salvation, we have an inheritance that, my friends, has so much good stuff in it that we can't even unpack it all in this present life. But sadly, so many believers do not value this great inheritance and as such, make decisions that lead to regret. In looking at this matter of salvation and its value, I want us to take a look at our text in this short book of Obadiah. Shortest book in the Old Testament. And in this book, which probably is not often read, we see a contrasting prophecy by this prophet regarding Esau and Jacob. We understand that Esau and Jacob were the twin sons of Isaac and Rebekah. Esau The firstborn despised his birthright and sold it to Jacob for a pot of soup. Subsequently, he then lost the blessing as well. And that singular decision by Esau impacted not just Esau but all of his descendants where ultimately they were virtually all wiped off from the face of the earth. Obadiah in this short prophecy predicts this outcome of the offspring, the descendants of Esau. But he also contrasts their demise with the fortune and the favor of the descendants of Jacob. This book speaks as well to the spiritual heritage of God's people because of salvation. And my friend, salvation has come to all mankind because of the Jews through Jesus Christ. And I want to preach a message this morning that I've entitled, Value Your Inheritance. If you're saved today by the grace of God, say amen. amen. And if you're not, I trust that before this service is over that you will be saved today. My friend, because there is so much good stuff in salvation. Listen, we don't even know the half of it. Yeah. But we are to value it. We are to value salvation. When you look at the contrast in this passage, you, you recognize that Esau made a mistake of, of tremendous proportions and lost out. And countless blessings for himself and those who would come after him. If you're paying attention to the words as we read this text, you notice that Esau ultimately, imagine this, one who was the brother of the children of Israel became an enemy of the people of God. An enemy of God himself such that God would say, in verse number 10, for thy violence against thy brother Jacob, shame shall cover thee, and thou shalt be cut off forever. What a sad indictment. But I want us to focus on verses 17 to 21 today. Because as much as the majority of this text focuses on the judgment and the indictment of Esau and his offspring. It gives a great contrast. And we look at these verses in light of the great salvation that God has afforded. And I trust that at the end of this message, we leave today, for those of us who are saved, valuing this thing called salvation. And if you are not saved here today, That when you are able to get a glimpse and come to grips with some semblance of understanding of the greatness of salvation that's been afforded to us, that you will say I need that in my life. So notice with me in verse number 17, first of all, when it comes to valuing your inheritance, there is a distinctive place. Notice verse number 17, it says, but, after all that has been said regarding Esau and the demise of his offspring, it says, there's a contrast, but upon Mount Zion shall be deliverance. Amen? My friend, the contrast is linked to a place. Now in the middle of judgment, there was judgment not only for Esau, seen in this text. But if you read this passage closely, you would recognize that there was judgment also for the people of God. There was judgment for the nation of Israel because of their rebellion from God, of, to God, their departure from what God had for them to do and even in, in, the, in the face of their, re, of their rebellion, and even in the middle of judgment that God has pronounced on them, there is still a special place for the people of God. Amen. My friend, the inheritance that God has for you, it is linked to a place. That place is being where God wants you to be. You see, contrary to maybe popular opinion, God doesn't love any of his children more than any other. But there are some of his children who are experiencing his blessings is because their inheritance is not linked to who they are, but it's linked to the place where they are. And some are in the right place, while some are not. So this place has some special things about it. Notice what it says about Zion. Zion shall be a place of what? Deliverance. Deliverance. You see, my friend, when we are in this place, we experience victory. Deliverance. You say deliverance from what? Deliverance from sin. He said, Pastor, what's the big deal about deliverance from sin? My friend, sin is man's biggest problem, but Zion is where salvation is found. So it's a place of deliverance. As such, you are to rejoice in your salvation. It's a big deal because it represents victory over something sinister, something huge, something devastating, something destructive. I don't know about you, but if you're a sports fan, you might understand this. But I love being in a town, in a city, on an island, being a, in a place where the local team is winning. When that happens, there's a buzz, there's an excitement, there's an energy that's created as a result of the winning team. You know the energy and excitement that happens when the singers Patriots is doing well. And I know we got some of the biggest Patriots fans in the entire world right here in this congregation. Somehow they seem to catch the camera every single time. I know you all know who I'm talking about. But my friend, when you are part of a winner, there's some enthusiasm, there's some excitement. Why? Because you are victorious. You share in the victory. But my friend, when it comes to this place called Zion, listen, when God's people are in Zion, there ought to be some enthusiasm, some excitement, some some, some enthusiasm, some energy, because it is a place of deliverance, a place of victory. We were in bondage. We were enslaved, we had no freedom, but thank God for deliverance through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. My friend, this Zion is a special place. It is a place of deliverance. But this distinctive place is not only a place of deliverance, but it is a place of holiness. This is not a typo or a misprint. You know, we often get enthusiastic about deliverance, about victory, about conquering, but God says this place of Zion is going to be a place of holiness. It's a place where sin ought not to have a comfortable dwelling. This, this makes sense. Because after all, we have been delivered from sin in the first place. But holiness is also to be expected because it is the nature of God. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 16 says, Be ye holy, for I am holy. That ought to be characteristic of the people in Zion. I like to observe trends. I I would say that I'm a pretty analytical person. But if you pay attention to people from a particular place, you would notice that without stereotyping, that there tends to be general tendencies and trends about how people think, how they do things, how they function when they live in a particular place. Some time ago, I observed an an individual who was questioned about a particular practice that was not inherently wrong, but it was being perceived as offensive to others. And when he was asked about this response, this behavior, this attitude, his response was to say, I wasn't being offensive or mean, but it's just how we've been cultured. What he was saying is it's a part of Who we are growing up in this particular place. You would often hear statements like, this is how Nevisians are. This is how Kittishans are. This is how Antigans are. What? We say, this is how we are cultured but my friend when it comes to this place called Zion we must be prepared to be holy because make no mistake this is what Zionites do my friend Zion is a place of holiness holiness is simply consistent with the character and nature of God this holiness ought to impact our attitudes our actions Holiness. If you want to quickly determine what is holy what is holy promotes God. What is holy honors God. What is holy has the favor of God. These things ought to be characteristic of a people who are dwelling and living and residing in Zion my friends. Zion is a distinctive place. But I want you to notice with me. There's a delivered pardon. There's some benefits to being in Zion. And notice, my friend, everything that I'm about to, 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 to show you from this text links is linked rather to being in Zion. Being in this distinctive place. Notice with me the delivered pardon. In verse number 10 to verse number 14, while the focus is on Esau, you would understand from the context that Israel had been taken captive because of their sin against God. They'd experienced the judgment of God. But yet because of Zion and the deliverance granted in Zion, they had been pardoned. In these verses, you see that Esau, while Jerusalem and Israel was being chastised and judged by God, joined in with the enemy crowd... To hinder them. It shows that even God's people were under judgment. But by time we get to the verse number 17, it says, but in Zion there shall be deliverance. That tells me that even when they were in judgment, there was a time when God pardoned them and gave them favor. Thank God that he gives forgiveness and pardon as a result of being in Zion. Amen? I don't know about you, but this is an exciting thing to me. Because sometimes we forget about this part of salvation. You see, my friends, we were not in good standing with God when we got the deliverance we got. We didn't bring good stuff to the table to persuade God to give us his favor. Simply put, we were a mess. We had failed him. Falling short over and over. But the inheritance has in its package this wonderful thing called forgiveness. Let me say this. There is nothing spiritual about an unforgiving Christian. Jesus addressed this in his parable of the man who was forgiven of so much but refused to forgive of little. But my friend, when it comes to this inheritance that we have by way of salvation, we are forgiven. Why? Because Jesus paid it all. Thank God for the pardon that we receive as a result of this beautiful inheritance of salvation. We notice the distinctive place there's a delivered pardon but notice with me the determined possessions look at verse 17 it says but upon Mount Zion shall be deliverance and there shall be holiness and the house of Jacob shall possess their possessions my friend With this inheritance that we have received by way of salvation, there are some inheritance that some possessions rather that God has for his people that are both spiritual and physical. Simply put, God provides for his people in Zion, and God's people shall claim their possessions in Zion. Listen, you have to be in Zion to claim what God has for you. See, because of God's people's residence and citizenship in this place called Zion, there are some rights to possessions and ownership. Notice with me in verse 19 and and 20 that Israel seems to be, not seems to be, but they are possessing what, well I say, what seems to belong to others. Look at verse 19. And they of the south shall possess the mount of Esau. And they of the plain, the Philistines. And they shall possess the fields of Ephraim. And the fields of Samaria. And Benjamin shall possess Gilead. And the captivity of this host of the children of Israel shall possess that of the Canaanites. Even unto Zarephath. And the captivity of, the, of Jerusalem, which is in Sepharad, shall possess the cities of the salt. What is happening here? Because of God's people's position and residence and citizenship in Zion, they are possessing the land of their enemies. You say, Pastor, that's not fear. Let me introduce you, well, not introduce you, I'm sure you're familiar with the term eminent domain. Eminent domain is a a term that refers to the power of government to take private property and convert it into public use. In the laws of our land, government reserves that authority to take land for the benefit of the people. Now, if government has the authority to claim land by means of what is called eminent domain, now you tell me the king of kings and the lord of lords has eminent domain over everything. That tells me he can claim what he wants, when he wants, and give it to who he wants, when he wants. That's just the God we serve. It all belongs to God. Now let me put in a disclaimer. As a child of God, you ought not to go stealing people's stuff and claiming what belongs to somebody else and saying, God, it belongs to him and I'm his child. So as a such, I'm claiming I'm in a domain on your property. You will go to jail directly. But here's what you ought to do as a child of God. Wait on God to give you what is yours. God gives His people what belongs to them. You just have to wait on God. What a great God we serve. But let me tell you, you gotta be in Zion. That's just how God works. That's why you ought to value your salvation. Listen, this thing, when you start unpacking this inheritance, listen, you'll find all kinds of stuff you didn't even know was there. But you gotta value it first. There's some determined possessions. Boy, Pastor Emeritus and wife, they still got some spunk. <laughs> Even though he's not running as upright as he used to. (laughs) But he's walking now. Only a child. Only a child. Oh my goodness. I take it back. I take it back. I take it back. My apologies sincerely. Please accept it. Listen, there's something exciting about this inheritance. Some determined possessions. Wait on the Lord and he will give you what is yours. Listen, God does some things that would blow the mind. Determined possessions. But notice with me, the dynamic power. Look at verse number 18. It says, And the house of Jacob shall be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame, and the house of Esau for stubble, and they shall kindle in them and devour them, and there shall not be any remaining of the house of Esau, for the Lord hath spoken it. In the context of this passage, the enemies of God, and specifically Esau, was destroyed. By the way, Eventually, every enemy of God is destroyed or will be destroyed. But Jacob is a fire. Why? Because of the preservation and the power of God. Why does God describe Jacob as a fire? It's because God's heritage is alive. God's heritage is powerful. But God describes Jacob as a fire also because God's heritage consumes the enemy. Spiritually speaking, in the context of salvation, understand that when it comes to your godly inheritance as a child of God, because of salvation, that which is sinful is being consumed because of God's holiness. So when it comes to your salvation, you ought to value your salvation and recognize that your salvation gives you power. Sinful habits are overcome through the power of God. They are being rendered as stubble because of the consuming fire of the Holy Spirit of God. We serve a living God that gives his people power Power to overcome the enemy of sin and Satan. What a package. Dynamic power. Are you experiencing the power of God in your life? As a result of the salvation that you have. God has made it available. But let me remind you again. This power and all of it is linked to a place. We must be where God would have us be in Zion. We notice the dynamic power, but fifthly, notice the distinguished position. Verse number 21 says, And saviors shall come up on Mount Zion to judge the Mount of Esau. It says here saviors. These saviors are referring to God's servants, God's messengers, his ambassadors to carry out his will, to speak his word. And because God's servants are using his word, they become saviors to the lost, saviors to the brokenhearted, What a distinguished privilege. What a honor to be a servant of God who can be a savior on Mount Zion. You're saved here today. Never hold your head down because you're a child of God. Never hold your head down because you're a resident and a citizen of Zion. You are distinguished. You are special. Listen, people walk around proud and and happy and uh, just delighted because they are citizens of this country or that country, but we ought to be proud because we are citizens of Zion. And when people represent prime ministers and presidents and kings and premiers, They feel honored and special. But if you're on Mount Zion and you have the privilege to be able to represent, to be an ambassador of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, my friend, that is a distinguished position. Hold your head high. You're a servant of the living God. What a pleasure. What a privilege. What an honor. But notice finally, this inheritance that we ought to value is all about a divine person. Verse 21 says in the latter part, and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That's Jehovah, Yahweh, the self sufficient one. In other words, God is God. All by himself. And we get to be a part of his special realm. That's a privilege, that's an honor. But make no mistake, he owns it all. But knowing that he owns it all ought to give us peace, comfort, calm, knowing that he's on the throne. We go through a variety of different challenges, and difficulties. May we remember who we are. May we remember who's still on the throne. May we remember that his eyes are not closed. His ears are not shut. He's aware of everything that's going on, both seen and unseen. And he has the domain over and the power over everything. Kingdom shall be the Lord. When we really take some time to unpack this inheritance, it's a travesty and a tragedy that we could ever fail. To devalue, that we can be guilty of devaluing, of degrading, of diminishing the significance of what has been afforded to us. Today, if you're here and you're saved, rejoice in your salvation. You have an inheritance of all inheritances. And if you're here today, you're not a born-again believer. You have not experienced this wonderful gift of salvation. I say to you, don't miss out for another minute. Receive what has been afforded, what has been purchased. And we, it will take all of eternity to continue to recognize the value, the worth of this beautiful inheritance of salvation thank God for giving us this gift a gift that we could never fully quantify but thank God for it nonetheless I know we much would rather some might and we might be tempted to hope for some long lost uncle who left an estate and a bank account overflowing with money but even if that doesn't happen and probably is not likely rejoice in the wonderful inheritance where moth and rust cannot corrupt thieves cannot break through and steal And that you will be able to enjoy for all eternity. And even in the present, God has some good stuff. Some possessions for you right now. But remember, they are linked to a place. Be where God wants you to be. Spiritually speaking more so. But even when it applies physically. And watch God give you what he has for you. Value your inheritance.